Hello, and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? That's the podcast right here aimed at folks like Neo in the Matrix, people who feel a deep sense of dislocation. On this pod, we'll talk about heavy things, but we'll do it lightly. Today, we're talking about gallbladders from alligators. We're going to use theology, history, philosophy, lots of years of deeply immersive experiences in foreign cultures, and we're going to figure out how did we get here. Our pod goes beyond rhetorical rabbits, whoop, quickly reproduce memes, instead digs into contemporary culture using an old world perspective balanced with our new world experiences. Join me, John Hears, and our team of First Things Field Workers, that's our, our nonprofit that we love to tout. As we wonder together and aloud, why are, why are we talking about those rabbits again? This is episode eight, fake news, oaths, and alligator bladders. All right, let's look at the concept of truth today, but that's a pretty big concept. Maybe we'll do truth news and oaths want to do that or maybe oaths and alligator bladders let's just do those all all of those but without the sort of the heaviness of having to talk about what is truth okay so let's start with alligator bladders and a story from liberia that's definitely old world although that culture and that that country is changing all the time as they're influenced by the new world and our technology and our culture. But let's go to Liberia and what happened there a couple of months ago. It's interesting. You'll like it. So Liberia is in West Africa. It's the place where Ebola there in Sierra Leone really, really hit hard. Okay. And this story I want to tell you took place in Zorzor. That's a district in Northwest Liberia, about three hours from where our guys work in Sierra Leone. So it's really close to the Sierra Leone border. There are a lot of alligators in this part of the world. And all of these alligators, it seems, have a gallbladder. And all of those gallbladders have properties, some of which are known to be essential for making traditional juju poisons. Poisons used by traditional old world juju doctors, and they use those poisons to poison, well, people. So what's juju? It comes from juju. When the French got there, they saw this traditional form of juju, of, of using things, oftentimes play things in spiritual exercises. And so they called it juju. Well, people started calling it that from outside of West Africa. It has many, many names in West Africa. We'll go with juju or juju. And that's our topic for the first part of this episode, juju. It seems that there is a local law in the Zorzor district that says when an alligator is hunted and killed, at least three people from surrounding villages, official type people, they must be present to witness the destruction of the alligator gallbladder. That's the piece of the alligator necessary for these poisonous concoctions. And these are poisonous. It's said that one tiny droplet in one glass of wine can kill a guy, a big person, in 24 hours or less. Well, 
in our story about Zorzor District, you can find, by the way, this story in a place called a publication called Front Page Africa. There's a link to it in our pod notes. Well, it seems in our story about 14 people, all of them on a fishing trip along the Lauror River, well, all of them failed to notify local officials about their alligator kill and about the disposal of the gator bladder. In fact, as it goes, it seems the 14 people in question took the alligator to a secure location and purposely divvied up the gallbladder. Uh-huh. Oh, well, that's the allegation, and boy, did that allegation spread like wildfire in Zorzor. When the Zorzor city officials heard about the alligator kill and the secret gallbladder mystery, the 14 fisher people were rounded up and questioned at the Zorzor City Police. When asked, where's the gallbladder, the fisher people said they'd thrown it into a toilet. That's, don't think toilet here, think outhouse, like with a slab and a hole, and the hole is where you do your biz. Well, the officials cracked open that hole, and they found that there was no gallbladder. There were no signs of any alligator parts whatsoever. And boy, did that news get around. That night, the police chief, well, he got his house burned down. The next day, two groups of pretty upset, shall we say, local youths gathered and threatened to burn each of the remaining houses down of the 14 Fisher people. And they were going to do it that next night if the gallbladders didn't show up. And guess what? They didn't show up. The gallbladder. It hasn't shown up. Intentions are high. And that's how the story in the local Liberian newspaper ends, with the phrase, tensions are high indeed. That's not exactly how it ends. There's one more sentence in the story, and that's what I want to focus on. But we'll get back to Juju if you want to sometime. Super interesting. Here's the last sentence. Meanwhile, the office of the commissioner has commissioned a traditional oath-taking ceremony for the 14 suspects. An oath-taking ceremony. That's the fate of the 14 suspects. Okay, what is that thing? Doesn't it sound like they're going to give them an old-world lie detector test? It feels like somebody's coming in to do something kind of, I don't know, nerve-wracking. An oath-ceremony. Well, it is nerve-wracking. And it is a type of lie detector test. And as you've probably guessed if you listen to this show, the old world lie detector thingy, well, they had it in Europe too in the old world before the Enlightenment. We're going to take a look at it. We're going to take a look how this Liberian oath thing is not unlike most cultures everywhere. But first, let's finish the Liberians. Let's figure out how they do this oath-taking ceremony you want to. So, the first 14 people accused, the 14 people accused here in Liberia, the first thing they have to do at the oath-taking ceremony is they're going to choose a sacred juju object. When the officials come, they're asked to choose a juju object. Some of the things they might swear on some of the things they may choose to swear upon at their juju ceremony would include, say, hair, shoes, 
blood, body parts of animals, teeth, pictures of loved ones. There's a lot of things you can choose. The thing being sworn on or sworn upon is a type of spiritual conveyance. It's a consort. If you'd like, the real word maybe is it's a stand-in for a true power. It's a manifestation of a power, of a power that is. And what power is that? Well, there are various little gods and goddesses that for the most West African traditional systems are associated with a bigger god, which in the West, here in America, we might think of as the creator god. In short, the juju oath is to a thing that is manifesting a power that is coming from a greater power. And it's the greater power that you're actually invoking in the oath. So you choose the hair of, say, your grandmother, and you're invoking in that hair the greater power of the creator God of your particular region or your particular world. And, well, every oath like this, like the kind they want these fishermen to take, they all involve calling down a curse. Yeah. When the article ends by saying, the office of the commissioner has commissioned a traditional oath-taking ceremony, what they mean to say is that the local authorities are going to make the suspects curse themselves if they are lying. Like this. It'll sound like this. Mr. Modibo, take the oath that says you didn't sell the gallbladder to the juju priests, and then everyone is going to watch and see what happens next. And if something really bad happens to you, say in the next 12 months or so, you're guilty. That's the thing. That's the curse. That's the oath. That's how it works. And if the officials actually see something happen to you, like, I don't know, like your kid gets hit by a car, they will then go and collect fines and even collect some land from the family members of the accursed. That's when the government gets its take. And what about you? Well, you get what you had coming. The spirit world was your judge. Crazy, right? Eh, it's not so crazy, really. Pretty much every society has used this form of justice. And most people in human societies have used this form of justice. And if you think about it, you're not really excluded. Check out what the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Anglican Christian Church, no less. Check out what he said in 1691. An oath is a sacred thing. If a man swear by heaven or by earth, or by anything that has relation to God himself, he hath called God to witness as by a judge or an avenger. And if what he swears turns out to not be true, he calls upon himself a curse. Unquote. The Archbishop of Canterbury? He's calling out people and cursing them when they say something untrue and, in so doing, swore to God. Check out what the Quran says. Verily, those who purchase a small gain at the cost of Allah's covenant and their oath, they shall have no portion in paradise. Neither will Allah speak to them 
nor look at them on the day of resurrection, nor will he purify them, and they shall have a painful torment for breaking their oath. Yikes. Oath. How about the Jews in the Old Testament? Now, this part is not long enough to talk about all the curses and oaths taken in the Jewish old world. Here's just one little ditty from Exodus. Yahweh will not hold guiltless one who swears falsely by his name, and so on and so forth. Every pre-lightened culture puts a lot of importance on oaths and curses and things like missing alligator gallbladders. But what about today? Well, that's a tough one. Do we have oaths? Do we have oaths that people like take and take seriously? I mean, did you take one today? Just think, mm, I went to the grocery store and then I worked online. I didn't really take an oath today or yesterday. Or did I ever, I mean, I never went, I never got like put on trial yet. <laughs> Maybe that's the oath we all know. See, an oath, it's sort of a thing that we can count on to get to the truth. Do we, do we have those? I I think that's where the fake news part of this podcast comes into play. I mean, I guess you could rely on the science of a lie detector to figure out if Sean Hannity is telling the truth, I guess. Or, or maybe he could take an oath. I mean, I don't think most people will trust his oath or his self tied up to a sweat detector test like i don't know if that's gonna work so well what what would work to figure out if sean's telling the truth what about if we what about if we had like a jury like a media jury like 20 people on a news panel that sat and watched as he was giving his news report and they sort of voted if he was telling the truth Right. Like, is Sean Hannity or if you don't like that, is Don Lemon telling the truth? And then they would all like sort of vote it out. Would there be some democratic process? And they would go, he is. I don't know. That feels stupid. Like, how can we know about news? I mean, we can find out if the alligator guys stole the gallbladder by what happens to them, at least in, in Liberia. But how do we know about Sean Hannity? Can we trust them to curse themselves if they don't tell the truth? Like maybe if they lose their shows because people stop watching, then we go, see, they were lying because no one watches them. Is it like that? I mean, I don't know. It sounds dumb. How do we know if the news is fake or not? How do we know in our enlightened world, our scientific world, how to tell what's true? What's our juju? What is the transcendent beyond me and beyond you, but equally essentially me and essentially you? What's the thing that we can agree on that's bigger? The thing we used to know and tell and see the truth with and by? Is it nothing? Is it just up to me to decide for myself and it's up to you to decide for yourself and it's different for you and different for me? Well, a lot of people answer it like that. 
But check out what Thomas Hobbes, a real deal light person, person of the Enlightenment and the founding father of the New World political philosophy. See, see what he says around 1650 about people who don't think there's something bigger and more truthful than themselves, something big, right, against which to take an oath. If that thing doesn't exist, here's what he says. There is no swearing by anything a person thinks not to be God. Wait, hear that again. Thomas Hobbes. There is no swearing by something like, say, a bat claw or a clump of hair or chicken blood that a person thinks not to be God. Wait, wait, what's he saying? One more time. I think it's like this. There is no swearing. There's no oath. There's no transcendent thing. There's no truth. If a person can't, in the end, tie their oath to some sort of God. See, here Hobbes is equating oath-taking with belief in a God. No God, no reason to oath. But what if there is a society that doesn't believe in a transcendent truth, a God? What if there is an atheistic society? What happens to them, according to Thomas Hobbes? And just trust me, Hobbes is a really important light person. He's worth listening to. All of our political systems, they come out of his book, Leviathan, on some level. Hobbes has an answer. And his answer is the same as John Locke's answer. And John Locke is another massively important light person. He's the father of rational political thought. He's the father of individual rights. Both of these guys, Hobbes and Locke, fighters they were for the New World League. They come to the conclusion that a society that doesn't believe in oaths can't remain a society. Yeah, there is no such thing as a society without oath takers. And both of them come to the conclusion that you can't really have oaths unless you have a God. The ultimate good. Look at what John Locke wrote in his letter called Concerning Toleration in 1689. This is what he wrote. Those shall not be tolerated who deny the being of a God. Promises, covenants, and oaths, which are the very bonds of human society, can have no hold upon an atheist. The taking away of God, though but even in thought, dissolves all things. What? Those shall not be tolerated who deny the being of a God. Notice he doesn't say Jesus, who deny Muhammad. He just says, if you don't believe that there's a God, then you don't get to get tolerated. People can be intolerant with you. Whoa. He said that O's are the very bond of human society. And this guy wasn't exactly like, you know, he wasn't exactly running the church up on the hill. Okay, he was a philosopher in the ivory towers. Very, very on, always on the edge of deism and a type of atheism himself. He wasn't an atheist by any means, but he did believe that there was this deistic kind of God. And he says, if you don't have it, things are going to go off, 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 off the rails. But others didn't fear 
the way he did. And many today don't fear it at all. Think of the new atheists like Sam Harris. Many enlightened philosophers thought that the new God, the new good, could be found in the conscience of man, in his rational center. That was the thing that an oath could be tied to for these new cats. And it's the same today. Your reason would hold you responsible, not some deity, not some juju spirit. And I think maybe that's where we are now. Today, in contemporary society, your conscience is your God. And my conscience is my God. And well, they are the same God. Right? I mean, they tie us together when we oath each other. Right? I mean, I have to answer to my own conscience, and you have to answer to yours. You answer to yours like, while you suffer the effects of that poisonous gallbladder I put in your drink, you have to answer to my conscience. No, wait, okay. While you vomit all over because of the gallbladder, you are answering to my conscience. Wait, how are we connected again, your conscience and my conscience? Are they the same? All right, this is dumb. But I am going to have to pay for putting that gallbladder in your drink, right? Somehow. Bam. Thomas Jefferson. The law. Yeah, you're going to have to pay. If they catch me, I will pay. And you'll feel better after you stop vomiting. You'll feel better because the law caught me. That's the oath keeper. The law. We figured it out in the new world. We figured out how modern atheists, all of us are heading in that direction, by the way, can keep their oaths in the absence of a god. The transcendent idea, the new juju, is law, an agreed-upon law. It applies to all of us equally, like in the Constitution, like in Hobbes' book Leviathan, like in America. And how's that going for us? Does anyone in America today think the law represents the ultimate, transcendent, all-encompassing truth? I mean, people are in the streets because they think the exact opposite. Law? Today, the laws we pass, I don't know that anybody thinks of them like that. Okay, if not a law, what about the marketplace? Lots of light people philosophers like Ben Franklin and Adam Smith thought the marketplace would punish people when they went wrong and way better than alligator juju. How's that going these days? Like if I cheat you, then the market will find out and punish me. Right? Wrong. I mean, the last time I checked Walmart's open and a whole crap load of little shops have closed. Well, that's if there were even any little shops left around Walmart anyway in the first place. I mean, how many of us trust the marketplace as a way to keep our oaths? I promise not to poison you, and if I do, may the marketplace rid me of my wealth. No one says this. Do you like the marketplace as a replacement for the oath god? Are we running low on options in 2020? What's the thing? What's the transcendent thing we all fear? Or if you don't like fear, what's the thing we all love? What's the thing that stands behind our oaths? Gotta be science, right? 
Gotta be science and math. Well, how's that going in our transcendent society of math and science worshipers? Dr. Fauci and his many institutions of learning, well, they don't seem so prophet-like right now. I mean, if anybody's a prophet guy of clarity and who's going to give us all the sense of right and wrong, I think Fauci would be the guy in the middle of COVID, but how's his voice of reason and evolutionary clarity going? About half of Americans don't believe what he says. They'd rather trust and say their barber or their grandpappy or their very odd president who weirdly disagrees with the same guy he put in charge of his science. And why is this? Why won't everyone just get on board with the science guys? Is it simply because they don't trust the science lig? Their, their, their binding worldview? Is it because they are holding on to a different set of transcendent truths? A different juju? Is it perhaps that the light people in their allure as the ones who know, who can be trusted, is it that the science guys have proven to be wrong? Hmm. And that brings me to another question that comes out of that last one. Do we even make oaths anymore? Do we take oaths anymore? Maybe that's the answer to the previous question. There's no transcendent thing, and in turn, there are no more oaths. Because there's no more things to trust, except one's self. I think, therefore, I trust myself. I think I'm the only juju left. And that leads me to the end of the pod. The 14 accused people in Liberia took the juju oaths a couple of months ago, and now we're all awaiting their fate. And that fate will be told in the next 12 months as everyone in the village watches for signs of a curse by the juju gods. Nobody else so far lost their house in fire. Nobody yet has died of poison. Something's going to shake out. And when it does, the people of Zorzor will go to sleep at night confident that the next time an alligator gallbladder goes missing, the spirits will once again put things right. Some people of Zorzor will not like the answers the spirits give in the coming 12 months, but all of Zorzor will have a basic trust in them. At least until, as a society, they find a better juju a better transcendent thing, a better lig. Maybe they'll choose the light people lig. That's happening all over the world. Maybe they'll choose the Anglican Jesus lig. That's not happening all over the world. Or maybe the Mohammed lig. That's happening. Or, I don't know, you name it. History tells us, however, that the one lig they can't choose in Zorzor the one lig that ends really, really, really badly is the lig of the lone individual. The lig of the lonely conscience. That lig ain't going to work. That lig is death because, well, it's a ligament without a body to bind. If a society chooses that lig, they choose a deeply felt 
uselessness and emptiness in the end. So maybe the news isn't fake. Maybe it's just us. Maybe we can't believe. Maybe we don't trust in anything bigger than ourselves. Maybe we've become believers only in ourselves and we can't oath it out anymore. Maybe there's no more juju for us to be afraid of and therefore no more juju for us to give an oath to. Jenny's Gagi Marjos. That means to you the victory, often set at the KP table in Georgia. That's our pod for today. Thanks for coming along. Watar is produced by Andrew Shork and Daniel Paternos. And our pod is brought to you by the creators of First Things Foundation, a nonprofit that lives and works in some of the world's most impoverished neighborhoods. We immerse there for two years in order to create momentum for local change makers, folks we call impresarios. When we find these cats, these local folks who want to totally transform themselves and their communities. We just move resources toward their vision of a better life. Share the Watar, that's this podcast with friends. Hit us up on a solid review on iTunes and everywhere you get your podcast. Your love for us allows us to love and serve others. Hasta luego, au revoir, kambufo, and peace out.